Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the Hellring Power Hour. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Hellring Power Hour. And here with me is my partner in crime, Danny Bennett. Do you like That's that right. One? And today we have a real treat for you: the 1984 Nick Castle classic, "The Last Starfighter." Absolutely. And after we break off a piece in that one, we're going to step over into the original 1981 Clash of the Titans. One of my personal you know, favorites. You said 1981, reason <clears throat> being because there is no other Clash of the Titans. Ooh. That was the one and the only because nothing else holds a candle. So, yeah, uh, appreciate you guys still uh, doing it for us, man, downloading the show. Appreciate you listening. Uh, just seems like uh, we get more and more listeners all the time. So we really appreciate you guys making the effort. Check out Legion Podcast. A lot of cool stuff going on over there. Just appreciate you hanging out with us, man. We're having a, just a complete blast of this thing. And and some of you may not know this, but uh, but Rick here has a, uh, a history and a, uh, a present in doing some karaoke work. So here's what I propose. For every share that we get of our next podcast, you can put in a suggestion for a song and uh we will perform it on the recording of your choice Yikes. that's if you put in a share and uh we'll do the first five that, that share along with what songs they say oh, we'll have man. to throw them in a little at a time because you know they'll take up a lot of time but you know we'll do it one per cast for the next five casts all right you know what we'll do that you guys start sharing this thing out there drum it up We'll sing you songs for you. But, you know, you, you probably want to pick something in my register, which is... Safety dance. <laughs> yeah. Simon LeBon. I can do some lounge singing. I can do some Olivia Newton-John or Shaka Khan. Shaka Never Khan. Mind. Shaka Khan. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I was just going to say, but, you know, mimic what Rick was saying. Absolutely. Go ahead and uh, keep downloading. If you don't want to hear us sing, which is probably legitimate, then don't share it. But, uh... You know, we want to see as many people as possible get the word. We want to get the word out. The bird is the word. So, yeah, man, keep it flying. We'll be right back with Last Starfighter. Shaka Khan. <laughs> it's late, it's night. <laughs> oh, what a night. He's going insane, and I'm reaping the benefits. Yeah, you got to like John Lovett. <laughs> All right. I watch it every time it comes on. This is like comfort food for me, this movie right here, man. 
I got to think back to when I was in my early 20s, and I, I thoroughly believed that one day uh, I would be in the middle of my regular everyday routine, and someone would come down from this out, from outer space and uh, and say, "You're needed to come save the galaxy." Because I grew up watching the Last Starfighter. Great, great movie. Sure, it's dated, but man, this movie is really, when it comes down to it, every young kid's dream. Boy and girl, possibly. I mean, who did not want to get not only famous from playing a video game, but who would think that you would save the universe from your abilities to play a video game? I think that's what we're trying to do now, right? Yeah, I think that there's a whole culture of people who are trying to make themselves relevant by playing video games and and just enjoying themselves. You know, it, it's a fantasy. It's like it's like drinking toxic waste and becoming a superhero. It's something that we grew up with. And uh, not that we drink toxic waste or encourage you to do the same. It doesn't work. But we would drink Jolt Cola if we could get some. Can we not get some? I don't know. Do they still make it? I, they probably do. I can get some Tahitian treat, man. <sighs> yeah, or some Big Red. <laughs> Ooh, no, no thanks. Let's get it on. So once again, to give us an IMBD synopsis reading, here's your friend and mine, Crappy Marlon Brando. The Last Starfighter, ready PG, 1984. An action, adventure, sci-fi. A discouraged video gaming boy finds himself recruited as a gunner for the Alien Defense Force. 6.7 out of 10, that's from 28,065 viewers. You can watch it now or on disc on Amazon for $2.99. You can have your 30-day free trial. A release date was July 13th, 1984. That's like over 20 years. A tagline, in his wildest dreams, Alex, you know, he's in the movie, never suspected that tonight he would become the last Starfighter. Why should you watch The Last Starfighter? Well, he said the first thing, Nick Castle. If you don't know who Nick Castle is, man, you're an idiot. Go back and watch the first Halloween. Yeah. You know the guy killing everybody? Nick yes, Castle. Nick Castle. He's the shape. They didn't call him Michael Myers much in the first movie. He was the shape. So, yeah, the director of this movie is the Michael Myers that's running around killing everybody in the first Halloween movie. So that hey. already is cool. Have you ever watched Big Trouble in Little China? Do you remember that awesome well, song at the end? Why, yes, Danny, I have. You know who was in that band? Nick Castle. That's right, Nick Castle. And, and John Carpenter. John Carpenter. Rip it up. <laughs> <laughs> Another reason you should watch this movie, video games. What? <laughs> video games. I mean, it's like we said, it's it's the fantasy of, of being so good at a video game that the world, nay, the galaxy takes notice. I want to talk about the beginning sequences, the, the, the credits at the beginning. It is right opposite of the Superman movie, the very first Superman movie with Christopher Reeve. The credits are right opposite. It's the same format. If you uh, think about the Superman movie when it opens up, you start off with the, the curtains opening up on the on the movie screen. Then the camera goes by the Daily Planet. Then it takes off and goes through space, and you go all the way to Krypton, and the, and the credits are coming up during that point coming to the camera. This movie is right opposite. You start off at Rylos, which is the planet that all this stuff is happening from, and it comes all the way back to Earth, and the credits are going backwards, and it settles down to 
the the center point of where all this is happening on Earth. So I just thought that was kind of cool because it is exactly right opposite of the Superman movie. A lot of people don't catch that. And didn't the uh, didn't the credits, the opening credits for the Superman movie, didn't they win an award? They were the first. Sure they, they were the first computerized credits that were ever done. Right, and so the computer effects in the Last Starfighter, they were good for the time, but they were also on a rush schedule. You know, now you'd look at them and you'd say, "Well, this yeah. this looks like crap." Yeah, but it's like a Saturday morning cartoon now, really. Yeah, at, at the time, nobody had seen anything like it, and that doesn't mean that it's necessarily good. But it does mean that if you watch it with that in mind, you can you can see a pretty awesome movie that isn't detracted from by the special effects because it's got a lot of life that if they remade it today it wouldn't have that life right it's storytelling and uh i go on the record to say as well you guys check this out and we'll get to it further on but the one of the main characters in the movie drives this space car and it is so reminiscent to the car that's in back to the future that i almost have to say they kind of took the idea from last starfighter they might have. I mean, it was it was uh, designed to look like a DeLorean, and they might have just said, you know what, let's just make it out of a DeLorean and, you know, forget all this designed to look like thing. We'll just use one. Yeah. But even, you know, the part where the wheels fold up underneath and the shields come over the wheels and it encloses it so it can fly through space, it's the same idea that's in, uh, in Back to the Future. So, good for you, Starfighter. And- Another reason to watch this movie, this incredibly hokey trailer park montage at the beginning <laughs> you settle into the starlight Starbright trailer park and you got an old lady that's out here on an exercise bike <laughs> out in her front yard you got granny over there with a walkman on jamming to some dmx or whatever planting some flowers and it's just a big mishmash of you know a quiet little mayberry type neighborhood but they're all in this trailer park Montages are a big part of the 80s, so you got to have that. You know, a big reason, a huge reason, my favorite reason to watch The Last Starfighter is Robert Preston. So Robert Preston, you may or may not know him from movies like Max Dugan Returns and uh, the, the musical The Music Man. But, I mean, he is a class act, and he lends so much to this movie because he's just kind of a galactic shyster who, who flies through, and, and he's a fast talker, and he convinces people to do what he wants them to do and instead of somebody coming down who's who's like a like a nick fury who says well you need to come save the world he's more like like i said he's more like a used car salesman he comes in hey my boy you know what you can do you can come with me right now let's step into the car and it's and it adds so much flavor to this that wasn't there before because he's able to lend so much character to this this whole rebellion going on in space that you wouldn't have if you just had some stiff coming down and tell him how important it is to kill the armada right so what this guy's done his name is centauri in the movie and that's the character that we're talking about has actually placed this video game down here on earth to find somebody that's worthy enough to be a starfighter to come and defeat the bad guys of the movie so So enter alex rogan who is a trailer park dreamer who decides to play the video game, and uh, we have a we have a lovely little interlude where he is breaking the high score, and everyone in the trailer park <laughs> is so excited about it that they all rush from what they're doing and and come watch him break the record on the Starfighter game. He's about to break the high score, and everybody in the whole trailer park comes rushing up. 
Oh, it, man. Except he doesn't say the break. He says, he's going to bust the high score. <laughs> he's going to bust it. Oh. You know, one and time I got to, like, the fifth it. level of Galaga, and nobody gathered around me. I don't know what they were so excited about. Galaga was hard. Yeah, it was, man. Well, what just, do the kids think about Galaga? It just cracks me up. Which what Oh, the kids? Yeah, the kids. What do you think about Galaga, kids? They don't. What is this? The kids have been eating uh, something that made them a little froggy. Brad right Blessed Pills. Brian Blessed does not like Galaga. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Brian Blessed does not like Galaga. He said, What is this? Madness! <laughs> so, uh, why should you watch this movie? The whole trip to Rylos, and what I love about it is when he gets there, and in the 80s, every movie that had aliens or people from other planets, whatever, you had to do something to make these people look different. Probably not the best of choice for this movie, because just getting everybody a great big forehead and a receding hairline <laughs> doesn't really make you seem like an alien. You just seem like Grandpa. Right, and and everybody who's in charge seems to have this, this uh, big white forehead and white hair, but everybody who's in the Starfighter League seems to be some kind of reptile or yeah. undersea creature. So apparently the big four-headed people are not very good starfighters. They have to go and recruit from other planets. Yeah, well, you know, maybe the, the shine off their forehead, you know, somehow <laughs> causes problems in the training. It blocks their view from being able to see the, the screen that disappears, you know, if you turn your eyes away like or something. I don't know. But here's another good thing about the whole alien encounter. Do these aliens speak English, Rick? No, they do not. So when Alex Rogan from the trailer park shows up, he doesn't understand them. He's got to be equipped with a translator in order to even hear what they're talking about. This is the only movie I've seen where they've done this, too. So they actually take this little chip and basically put it on the collar of, of Alex's shirt and just clip it on there. And instantly, when they speak, he hears them speaking English, and he can con converse with them back and forth as well in their language. Yeah, I think they do it in Galaxy Quest. Yeah, that's way later, though. Oh, true, but you know, I think they do it, and well, then they that's ripped a great off, movie. They ripped off Last Starfighter, then. Yeah, they did. Credit where it's due. Alex Another Rogan big... shows up, oh, and he's being told that he's there to save the galaxy, and he thinks they're full of it. Well, yeah, I mean, what would you do? You know, it's all well and good to play a video game, but then all of a sudden, it's like, wait a minute, victory yeah. or death? Yeah, they start standing up, yelling, "Victory or death!" Then you got. Big ball-headed Zur's head pops up, the big hologram, and he's all evil and stuff. So, another big reason to watch this movie? Frying the Spy's Brain, live on TV. And Zur. I mean, just Zur in general. He's, he's one of those stereotypical bad guys who is so villainous that even the other villains that work for him don't like him. Yeah. Well, he's not, he's not as bad as he wants to be. And I just, I'm going to step in here for a second again and say... Yet another Galaxy Quest thing. Galaxy Quest, the, the, the big lobster people that are the bad guys, they kill a spy in front of everybody. And the guy who, that they brought in to help them is like, oh, I need to get out of here. So it's really a lot like the uh, last Starfighter connection. Sounds like we got a big lawsuit on our hands. Yeah. 
You hear that, Tim Allen? <laughs> Last Starfighter's coming. Know the big reason well, the- to watch this movie? Grig. Grig. That's right, the, the reptilian alien navigator. And, you know, here's what I like. So you're in the, 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 the Gunstar, right? And you're saving the galaxy from the Conan Armada. Do you want to have to fly the ship and worry about life support and worry about make sure you're going the right way? No. No. You're just the gunner. Who's taking care of all that stuff? Greg. He's, right. he's doing the dirty work. So he's like this lizard-looking person. Pretty decent makeup job, I think, for the time. He's a well-known actor. If you've seen uh, RoboCop. Right. The the guy who uh, who's running OCP yeah. there in the first RoboCop, Peter Weller, uh, or Hurley, his last name is Peter Weller. Hail Ming. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, you might think that Alex got uh, taken up into space and now everybody misses him. Not true. No, another big reason. Beta unit. What's a beta unit there, Rick? It's a uh, basically a carbon copy of yourself. It touches you and takes your DNA and transforms into a carbon copy of you. And it takes your place while you're gone, doing a mission. But in another incredibly cool twist, the beta unit is a copy, but it really hasn't been versed in how to be human. So there's a there's a lot of comic relief of him on Earth dealing with Alex's girlfriend and and going places and not understanding what's going on. You know, in other movies, he might just be glossed over that he's he's also super programmed in all Earthlings and human behavior. Yeah, he don't know squat. He don't know how to do no. anything. He just he's there to look like Alex. You know, till yeah. everything is is over. You know, and. Uh, so his girlfriend comes up and, you know, I think he even makes a point of, you know, why did you stick your tongue in my ear and all that kind of good stuff, you know. So he has no idea of any of the relationship stuff or any of that. So pretty comical. But at the same time, some of the horror elements that we talk about in these movies is really dealing with the beta unit, too. The uh, the first morning when the beta unit is there... And the girlfriend walks in, she's talking to him, and he's like laying under the sheets, and he's just moaning. And they had a fight the night before, which he doesn't remember any of this, because it wasn't him. It was the, the real Alex. But as soon as she leaves, the covers fly back, and you see this thing transforming under the sheets. And it's pretty cool looking, and uh, kind of nightmarish. It, it it could be easily something that could have been in the uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers movie. I mean, it's it's got yeah. an appeal to it. It's kind of undulating and, and transforming, and it's uh, it's it's faceless and creepy. Yeah, that always I, stood I agree, out to I me. Remember that. And then also, there's a scene later on when he has a problem with his ear. He's you know he's hearing things way out of whack, and he pulls his head off and sets it over on a disc, and he's working on it. And Alex's little brother sees this going on, and he like looks over there, and the head looks at him, and says, "Go back to sleep, man. You're having a, a bad nightmare." And uh, you know, it's. Uh, it's pretty obvious how they did the effect, but it works and it's fun. But just the fact of, you know, this thing's pulling its head off and working on it right there on the table, it's, it's a pretty cool effect. We talked about Zur a little bit. Zur is leading the Kodan Armada, which is the, the bad guys, basically. So Zur, like I said, he's kind of a pipsqueak bad guy. So, you know, he likes to use the video screens to make himself look larger in life. But really, when it comes down to it, he's like, I'm the bad guy. You're supposed to do what I want to do. He's one of those kind of guys, right? So, uh, in order to match 
or make him seem uh, bigger than he is. He's got this equalizer that he carries with him everywhere. And you know how he talked about Jack Burton with his knife in his boot? Man, you talk about the overuse of something. This guy has this scepter, and it's a real cool-looking scepter, and it's just as tall as he is, and it's got this switchblade in the very top of it. And every time he gets a little upset, he's flicking the blade, like, yeah, I'll cut you. And that's it's basically the only threat this guy does through the whole movie. So it's kind of weird. He starts off, he's melting this guy's head with a laser on live TV, and now he's resorted to, man, I'll cut you. Yeah, he's a he's definitely got that little man syndrome. He is a a villain who is uh, trying desperately to be impressive to the people around him, and the people around him are impressive. They're big, scary, scaly dudes with with headgear, and the the bad guys all look kind of kind of like red pumpkin men or something. They're, That's right. And another reason to watch is the main the main pumpkin head dude is Lord Krill. Lord Krill. This dude is awesome. He's the coolest bad guy in the movie by far in this movie. So, Emperor Zer is a short guy named Zer, and yeah. the big guy that's with him is named after a shrimp. Makes perfect sense. Lord Krill. And he doesn't look anything like a shrimp. Uh, he looks like, basically, if you took a Tootsie Roll <laughs> and twisted it and put some eyeballs on it, that's what he looks like. That's exactly what he looks like. <laughs> I think that's how they did the makeup. Mr. Tootsie Roll Man. <laughs> Let me see your Tootsie Roll. The, the makeup artist in this actually won several Academy Awards. <laughs> For the Tootsie Roll. So another reason to watch this movie. You get to see one of these aliens with his helmet knocked off. This design for this creature, man, is just one of the weirdest things ever. I don't know if it's scary or comical, but it's got eyeballs that are like set off of the head they're they're out on like little antennas and they kind of roll around so big bad zur with his scepter switchblade hits one of these guys in the head and knocks his helmet off and you get to see this creature it's uh it's entertaining so again it's like what we talk about all this stuff you're getting to see stuff that you haven't seen anywhere else Alex decides that he wants to go back home because he's just not cut out for this crap. Centauri takes him back home. The beta unit's there. So another reason to watch this, Zur and the Kodan Armada blow up Rylos, pretty much killing everybody there. All the starfighters, they're all dead. Hence the name, The Last Starfighter. Yeah, it had so, to happen sometime. Yeah, sure. He gets back home. Centauri gives him this little this little trinket. Says, "Hey, no, no, you hold on to it because you may decide that you want to come back." Then all of a sudden, the next reason to watch this movie, Zandozans. Zandozans, which are basically they are galactic hitmen. Yeah, galactic hitmen that have the same ability that the Beta units have. And there are one or two you know, like stock prosthetic creatures in the '80s, and I would say the Zandozan is one of them. He's got the eyes on either side of his head. He's got the the jowl that kind of foams. He's kind of got like a, like a deep dusty complexion, like a Sierra colored skin. And uh, I know I've seen him before, along with the goblin, you know, from uh, from uh, Troll Two. You know that that same uh, yeah yeah you prosthetic see, creature that you kind of see variations of throughout yeah. the '80s. Well, actually, they come to kill the last Starfighter, even though they find out that the Beta unit's there. That convinces Alex to go back and try 
to, to stop this from going on. Actually, one of the Zandozan is attacking them. So Centauri pulls up. Centauri jumps out with a gun, shoots the Zandozan, blows its arm off. And another cool thing about these Zandozans is I guess they can still control body parts even though they're not attached. Yeah. So Alex, the arm crawls over and yeah, grabs, the arm crawls that gun. grabs the gun, shoots Centauri. And then from there, Centauri says, We got to go. He grabs Alex, throws him back in the car. They take back off to Rylos, leaving the beta unit there again. What's going on there is Alex goes back, finds out that Grig is basically the only other person left alive. Pretty much all the uh, Starfighter ships are destroyed, except for one. Yeah, it's a prototype that Grig was working on, which is why he didn't get blowed up. They have no choice. They have to go fight. So you get Grig in the back panel controlling everything. You get Alex up front, and the controls are, guess what? Just like the controls on the video game. As per design by, by the aforementioned Robert Preston. I'll tell you, Centauri, not only is he... A tremendous actor. Not only is he the guy that comes down to get Alex, he comes into a couple of great points. He he's got a lot of snappy lines, but he's also the voice on the video game, right? You know that says the 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 uh, line about you know being the last um, line of defense against the Kodan Armada. You yeah. know he he really makes it. Yeah. Uh, but they get back, and Greg is like, "Yeah, we can get to this ship. It's got a it's got a special weapon that I've been designing and." The two of us can uh, can go take care of business. As what's, it, what's, that, what's that weapon called? That weapon is called Death Blossom. That's right. The Death Blossom, which is, I guess you'd say, the, the peak of this movie? Absolutely. It, it's, the, it's definitely a reason to watch the movie, if not the best reason. Even though it's CGI animation, early days... This kind of stuff has never been seen before, guys. This is this is groundbreaking. The the first images like this being put in a movie, so uh, it's still worth catching. Yeah, you know when you watch it, you're watching history basically. So if you're watching this movie and fast forward, you watch that montage. You watch him beat the high score, and all the people from the trailer park come to praise him as the begotten child of the Starfighter game. You watch Robert Preston come down to pick him up. You watch him meet all the aliens and get to learn their language through the the handy translator. You get to watch the uh, uh, Emperor Zer melt some guy's brain. Then when it comes time, you get to watch a Zanzo uh, a Zandozan try and kill the Beta unit, Alex and uh, Centauri, and and then they're back up in space. And and what happened? Well, of course the uh, the Kodan Armada has has wiped out all of the starfighters, leaving you with the last starfighter. I think I've heard that somewhere before. What should happen with Alex Rogan and his trusty compatriot slash navigator slash builder of the greatest weapon in the fleet, Grig, is uh, there to help him out. Also, there's a scene where they uh, he's having kind of second doubts again about being in the ship. He's getting kind of cold feet. Grig says, okay, I'll, I'll take you back. They get to talking about family. And this is really cool because this is technology that wasn't even around then. But he pulls up basically a digital photo album. It's a digital frame, and it shows pictures of his family, and he just holds it, and then pictures change automatically. There was nothing like this back then. Now we have them. So this movie, I hate to break it to you folks, this movie created history. You know who's behind that? Nick Nick Castle. Castle. (laughs) Nick Castle. All day long. Oh, another thing we didn't talk about. Catherine Mary Stewart, the girlfriend. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
I've seen her before. For all you uh, movie nerd fans out there, she's in Night of the Comet. I say Catherine Mary Stewart. We salute you. That, that was kind of a lackluster applause there. Well, that's all I had at the time. Damn it, studio audience. You're supposed to do better than that. Here we are at the the culmination of everything. He is the last starfighter. He is forced to use his lasers until all of the ships are in range because the whole fleet is there versus him in this prototype ship, which is heavily shielded to give you kind of a little bit more time to take hits and explain away why he doesn't just get decimated. And then he's got to shoot him for a while, which he's been training on on the video game. It's all come to fruition now. He is the chosen one. He's the last starfighter. He shoots his way out, and then he has no weapons left, and he's got to wait for them all to get into range of the Death Blossom device, right. which may or may not work. So uh, this thing is a spectacle. Again, uh, breakthroughs in CGI technology. You know, you know where we stand on this stuff. You know, it's kind of weird. We got two movies here that's like the beginning of a new era. And the ending of a great era. So he gets all, they all have to get into range. And of course he's saying, now, is it time now? And Greg's saying, wait, because Greg, you know, is doing all the boring work of, you know, tracking to make sure they're all inside the Death Blossom range. And uh, when they're all in Death Blossom range, Alex hits the button and this thing just spins. It spins like a gyroscope in every direction. And it unloads all the payload, all the missiles, all the lasers, everything it's got. And just completely destroys the entire armada, which is what you want if you're a 1980s hero who's been pulled into the galaxy. You want to be able to push that button and destroy the whole armada. Absolutely. And then coming out of that, they sneak up to the ship from behind, find the weak spot, shoot it a few times. The ship's about to blow up. And this is where Danny does the best line of the whole movie. Oh, man. This is the best line of the movie that isn't delivered by Robert Preston. So Lord Krill's got this cool eye piece that, that snaps down over his eye like, uh, like the killer in uh, The Last Action Hero, kind of. <laughs> and uh, so General Krill is talking to his second-in-command, and his second-in-command says, We've lost our navigation, and we're trapped in the moon's gravitational pull. <laughs> he says, what do we do? And the guy goes, What do we do? <laughs> and, and Lord Krill says, we die. Yep. Eyepiece comes down. And the thing snaps over his eye. We die. And then a very, very um, anticlimactic explosion yeah. occurs where this gigantic <laughs> ship hits the moon. And then it's kind of like some fireworks on the 4th of July. <laughs> it's almost like a delayed. It, it's like it didn't match up just right. There's something really wrong with this shot. But, and you know uh, that explosion sound that you hear when, when like a like a car goes over a cliff in a movie and it's like that <laughs> <laughs> It's like that noise. Yeah, that's pretty much it. So but yeah, that that's the that's probably the weakest part of this movie. As odd as that is. That that's pretty weak. But the bad guys but, die, they go back to Rylos, everybody's celebrating. Remember we said earlier that uh Centauri got shot? He actually we thought he died. So when you're watching this, you'll 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 be heartbroken. You'll shed a little tear because you think he's dead. At shed the end, he comes back. Even though when he comes back, I guess he's in his true form, which is basically looks like a a green skin, red eyed nun. That's about right. You know, I don't know. It looks like a it looks like a Star Wars reject. Really, it's like the face come off of Star Wars, and the outfit came from the things off the Herculoids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can't 
we can't not mention the Herculoids here because uh, the writer of this movie went on to produce the entire Herculoid series, and there you uh, go. it's important to to note that the rock monsters they were based on Alex Rogan. Hail Ming. Where space goes, anyhow. We, we so, might be ribbing on this a little bit, but yeah. but let's let's think. Of, here's the thing you need to take away. You need to take away Alex Rogan playing the video game, beating the high score. He's got nowhere to go. He's in the trailer park. What happens? This guy comes from outer space, talks him up really fast, takes him into space, says, you're our last hope. He loses heart, goes back home, realizes the danger is near, goes back up, does the right thing. And this guy from a trailer park succeeds in becoming the savior of the galaxy. And that is that is a tremendous story being told. It's got all these other affectations in it because it's a, a whole movie. It's got humor and it's got action and it's got romance and it's got bromance with Craig and <laughs> it's got Robert Preston and it and then at the end what does he do? He shows back up at the trailer park. He lowers himself down in an in an elevator to his girlfriend. Yeah. And, and what does she say, Rick? Do you remember what she says? Where's my juicy fruit? Where's my juicy fruit? Coming. No, she says, "I love you, Alex Rogan." But oh. she says it to herself, so you know it's true. She yeah. doesn't say it to him. Yeah. She says it to herself. Yeah, because in the eighties, you didn't do that. You kept it to yourself. Kept it to yourself. Yeah. Love was not handed out freely back then. So we might be making fun of some of the stuff in this movie, but ultimately you're going to watch it and you're going to see a lot of really cool effects. You're going to see a really great story, and it's going to be worth every minute of it. You're going to look at it and see how dated they are, but if they made it again today, I'll tell you right now, I will put money on the fact that if they made it again today, it would have no soul. Right. It would suck. have no soul. Yep. So you go back and you watch it now, and you try and think of what it would look like today. The effects would be great. The acting would be lackluster, and there would be no soul. Yeah, do yourself a favor and watch it in the, the new high definition where it's not grainy and, yeah. and the, the film isn't bad. Because really – It the, looks good. It all looks great. Yeah. And you know, the effects, they are what they are. You know, The only movie that was done like this before it was Tron. It yeah. was done by the same company that did the effects. Tron was made to look like the inside of a video game. So they hadn't even tried to try and make it realistic yet. But, you know, it, it's it's there. If you watch it, you know, you just kind of let that go and just watch it for the enjoyment. Also, at the very end, this is for all you uh, trivia nuts out there. You won't really see this on much anything. But one of the little kids in the background, I'm not making this up, in the credits, you'll see that there is a very young Will Wheaton. Right. And he, he plays, uh, he plays a, a dead body in a coffin. <laughs> that they're, uh, they're willing to, uh, you know, some kind of a funeral. It's It's awful. Helming. Will Wheaton, y'all. Yep. Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton. So for a rating, I'm going to give it 10 Switchblade Scepters. And I am going to give it eight and a half Death Blossoms. All right. And like always, we ask Brian Blissed, what does he think? Brian, what do you think about this one? Shut up. Will you shut up? Okay. Well, he's a little upset today. A little surly. <laughs> All right, that's it for this one. We'll be right back with Clash of the Titans. Yeah, 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 yeah. Have you worked up an appetite protecting the galaxy? Ready to stop in for vittles and a drink? What do you think? 
discount for starfighters on our victory or death meal. Open always for breakfast, lunch, and Starflag. Enjoy your stay at Griggs Cafe. Hey, that rhyme. This is Sid. And I'm Nemo, man. And we are from the Victory or Death Outfitters. Have you ever wanted to be a starfighter? How about fight against the Kodan Armada? Well, here at V&D Outfitters, we have you covered. Our outfits are Rylos approved and hold up to the strenuous duties of war. <laughs> you said duties, man. Our highest quality gear comes in camouflage tan with the protective white straps to keep you hidden and safe from the enemy. And our helmets have 15% more turning room for your vision than those other brands. Well, hey, man, what if I'm not down with being a starfighter, man? Then we are the people for you. Check out our Evil Empire eyepiece. It will put you in command. And boots come free with every purchase, so come on down to Victory or Death Outfitters. Opening in a new location as soon as we can relocate off of what was Rylos. Alright, jumping right into the second movie, 1981's Incredible, Unfallible, Clash, Clash of the Titans, of the freaking Titans, that's right, that's right, this movie, I actually got to go see this in the theater, so this was a big one for me, I, I remember seeing the trailer, and uh, had to go see it. This is one that my dad took me to go see, and I was just floored the whole time watching this thing. Because I grew up watching the Sinbad stuff and all that, and the Harry Housen stuff is just great. So I, I just I can't say how much I love this movie. It's incredible. I, I would say that it's quite possibly the greatest testimony to Ray Harryhausen's uh, effects. It just had everything. I mean, all the Sinbad movies are great, but I, I also went and saw this in the theater, and I remember coming out, and uh, they had these big co- concrete columns outside of the theater, and I would it had like a groove cut into it, and I remember jumping into one of those and then jumping off because I was so excited about you know Perseus and and how he was beating monsters and and just it, it's an incredible movie and the effects in it they're still good today they're they're still good. Yep, I watch it every time it comes on right now. I, I have no problem with this movie whatsoever. So to give us a synopsis of Clash of the Titans, here's a real crappy Sean Connery. Clash of the Titans, 1981. Perseus is the favored son of the god of Zeus, but is unwittingly ticked off the sea goddess Thetis. Just to make things worse, Perseus falls in love with the lovely princess Andromeda, who used to engage to Thetis's son. Soon Perseus is off on one quest after another, with Zeus helping, Thetis hindering, and lots of innocent bystanders getting stabbed, 
drowned and squished. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. You know, he's been out of work for a while. And he sounds like he might be a little sick. <laughs> so, Danny, why should you watch Clash of the Titans? Well, just the way it starts off. You know, how can you start something off to give a story gravity? Well, how about a woman and her baby getting put in a coffin and floating out into the sea? Yeah, banished from the land. It's dark. There's a great big cliff. It's really scary looking. And what's going on? But but some woman and her baby are being pushed out to sea to go die. That right there is a, a beginning, you know, that's that's worthy to catch your attention. Yeah, they were they were very uh, heartfelt people back then. You know, they were very kind and gentle to people. <laughs> it's very true. The makers of uh, democracy, these people. Yes. The Greeks. Yeah. And yogurt. So, you know. Yoming. Does this uh, good deed go unpunished, Rick? Absolutely not. Zeus is very upset because this is his son that we're talking about. So... The immortal words of Zeus, he looks at Poseidon and says, Release the Kraken! Here's one of the great scenes that I remember from every time I've seen this movie. And the next time I see it, I will as well. Poseidon just jumps into the ocean and goes to the bottom of the ocean where there are huge chains and and there's this there's this big wall that moves and, and Poseidon just unleashes this giant monster from the bottom of the ocean. You see what, like a fin? Yeah. You don't you just you just see his tail. You don't get much of the monster at all. Again, classic movie making. And it spins up and it just takes this city out. That'll learn you. That's the opening of the movie, folks. We're just getting to you know past the credits. This is the opening. Yeah, and and I kind of remember now. I kind of remember the gods um, calming the seas so that um, yeah, Perseus and safe. his mom could make it. I, right. I'd forgotten about that. Yep. So they're they're brought safely to land, where he will be raised and be a strong, young, strapping lad. Another reason to watch this movie, Burgess Meredith. That's right. Burgess Meredith uh, comes in in the formative years of young Perseus, and uh, he's a, a thespian who gives him a place to to, to stay, and uh, and also it's a great um, it's a great scenario for him to. Wake up one morning and find his gifts from the gods. Right. And why does he need these gifts? Well, he's going to live a life of, of toil because he is a, a son of Zeus. And all the gods are at each other's throats. And that doesn't mean that they won't go attack each other's kids. Because they right. sure will. So he gets a helmet. which makes him invisible. He gets a sword that can cut through marble without the slightest blemish on the blade. And a shield. And a shield. That's right. Because the the shield says, uh, guard this shield well, for one day it will guard your life. Right. Zeus tells him that in himself. On the back of the shield. So that's something to look out for. And and the look of this movie, I mean, it's something that you, you see in maybe the uh, the Four Musketeers movies. Um, you know, a lot of British movies that came out in this era, late 70s, early 80s. It's very, I don't know, it's very singular. It's It's kind of almost grainy. It's kind of rough looking but it just brings you into the story and it, it kind of like a stage play does oh another reason to watch this movie Boobo Boobo the owl 
That's right. Yeah, that, that's right. And when they're all giving gifts, they say, uh, you know, he, uh, Zeus tells them all they have to give him gifts, and uh, yeah, he tells Athena that that he has to give him his her owl. He says, "Give him your owl." And then the Lawrence Olivier, as Zeus says, "Give him your owl. It is my wish. <laughs> it is my command." That's right. And then he walks off. And so uh, she says, no, I'll, I'll have him forged an owl and has uh, Hephaestus make an owl out of, out of gold. And it's like this little robot owl named Bubo. That's right. I always wanted a Bubo. Tell you what, I mean, people, people hate on Bubo, but he was a robot owl. Hey. And that's pretty cool. I mean, what do you do if you're a robot owl? Is he any more disturbing than R2-D2 or C-3PO? That's a little clockwork owl, man. It's cool. Yeah. And like anybody it. who thinks that Bubo isn't cool should rethink their whole position on everything That's forever. Right. Yeah. Bubo is where it's at. Another reason to watch this movie? Ray Harryhausen. I know, I know we've already talked about him, but we're getting to the point where you're starting to see a lot of his work. Bubo the owl is, is some of his work. You're getting to the point now to where Perseus has seen Andromeda, and he's fallen in love, but there's a curse over her. From the next reason to watch this movie, Calibus. That's right, Calibus, who who is also a half god, who has been cursed, and he is a wicked goat man uh, with with horns and and very devilish looking, and he has got these people living in fear because he just does what he will, and he he wants Andromeda for his own. That's right, but she can never live in. They were they were a couple before he got cursed. And she loved him, but now that he's been cursed and he's so ugly that she's just not interested in him anymore. So uh, he's written a riddle that keeps her locked into this curse. And uh, so they put out a riddle, and these guys try their best to solve the riddle to win her hand for marriage, and they fail miserably. Matter of fact, the penalty for guessing wrong, burned at the stake. Burned at the stake, that's which some, you might do for Andromeda. That's you, some you pretty serious stuff, that. man. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think, yeah, I mean, she's, you know, yeah! she's that kind of person. But I don't know that I'd uh, risk being burned at the stake. Oh, I would. Not me. So here you have it. the The riddle changes too. So you know, you can't just go. You know, Google the riddle and then come in the next day and say, oh, I know the riddle. You know, somebody on, on Facebook told me the riddle answer. You can't do that because the riddle changes and there was no Google. But other than that, how does it change? Well, Calabas sends a cage by a giant vulture to carry Andromeda to him in, in a dream state. And while she is in his court, um, in that dream state, he tells her the new riddle. For the suitors. So he gets some guy to sit down with a really bad wig and a chicken leg. <laughs> and he draws out the riddle on a calf skin. <laughs> yeah, and I remember that. That really looks out of place when you look at that guy. It's like, wow, they really didn't spend any time on that guy. <laughs> no, he wasn't important to the story. It's almost like he, he could have been Meatloaf back in the day. but He might might, might have been Meatloaf. Might have been Meatloaf. But uh, he's it, it writing with a, a cut-off chicken leg, basically. The talon end. And uh, that, that always stood out to me. It was like, Calibus's makeup, I think, is incredible, really. 
Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Calabas is is uh, simultaneously an actor wearing makeup and also a Ray Harryhausen monster. So when you get wide shots of him or when he's cracking his whip at people, it's a uh, Ray Harryhausen work. And then when you see him up close, it's an actor who's acting through some pretty amazing, frightening monster makeup. It, it is very terrifying looking. I would say way more terrifying than what they did in this so-called remake that they did. In the what now? In the remake. You know, I'm not, I'm not getting it. Yeah, the movie that didn't exist, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. So so Perseus, you know, he figures the, the only way that he can keep up with it is he's got to get some wings of his own. Enter right. the Pegasus. That's right. So he sneaks up on the Pegasus with his invisible helmet, and uh, and and nets her, and then um, or him. I don't I don't know if it's a him or her. It might be a mare. It's Pegasus, man. When you're on the cover of a Steve Miller album, who cares? It's a him. I, I have it on good authority. He gets his own wings, and then he decides he's gonna. And just like all heroes uh, of of old, he doesn't just outsmart this thing. He's more cunning than the bad guy, and he sneaks out along with her. He he figures out how this is going down, and he goes after her, and he has a run-in with Calabas, um, but he also manages to see the riddle the day before. The only problem is he didn't think about is he does a great job of sneaking in and standing there and watching this whole riddle ceremony go down, and when she leaves, then he turns to leave. Calibus can see his footprints. Another reason to watch this movie: Calibus chasing Perseus in in invisibility uh, before he gets back to Pegasus, because he he has a pretty killer fight scene there where uh, right. Calibus catches him around the neck with his whip, and they struggle for a while, and uh, he manages to do what, Rick? Cuts off his hand. Cuts off Calibus's hand. That's right. That's going to come in later, and another definite reason to watch the movie. So at this point, they go back. It's time for the ceremony of solving the riddle, and uh, the answer to the riddle is a ring the that ring Calibus on wears. Calibus's right. finger. So in front of the whole court there in, in this city, Perseus solves the riddle and even throws Calibus's hand on the ground, which has the ring on it that is the riddle. Man, I remember that scene, that gnarled hand. Yeah. He's like... The answer is the ring on Calibus. He throws it down, and it's this gnarly hand with this ring on it. Yeah. Oh man! I, it, old, old ladies are passing out. You know. Yeah. The, everybody's trying to like fan themselves and drink lemonade to to stay awake. Yeah. So, out of that, you go into uh, all right. You're gonna get married. So uh, they get ready for the wedding ceremony, and that's when all things start falling loose. Well, Cassiopeia makes the mistake of saying. And you will be married to the most beautiful woman anywhere. Even more beautiful than, and he looks over this giant statue of Thetis and says, even more beautiful than the goddess Thetis. Yeah, bad mistake. Yeah. Which, in case you didn't catch earlier, her son is Calibus. So she's yeah, so already a little upset. Yeah, you chop off her son's hand, then compare your daughter's beauty to her own. So... Yeah. Old uh, old Thetis there, played by by Maggie Smith, who you you know from Harry Potter, you know from Downton Abbey. Now Maggie Smith, she's good people. Yeah. Uh, she she makes the whole place quake, and in this projection of her face over the statue of Thetis, she she speaks to all of them and says, you know, how dare you? 
and uh, and she Doesn't gives the, them a, the head comes off, don't it? Don't it fall? Yeah, on the ground? yeah, it, it, it falls down to the yeah. Their head breaks off the statue and lands on the ground. Then their eyes open, and she starts saying this stuff. So you know, actually, this interrupts the wedding. Uh, he has been told he can marry uh, Andromeda. They're having that, and Cassiopeia steps up and says, "My daughter, being handfasted to this young buck, is is uh, is the most beautiful." Thetis's head falls off, and 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 tells them all, you know, in in typical Evil Dead fashion, "You will die." Right. And uh, I like that. Oh yeah, it, it's it's a you know actually I think that's probably where it came from, but you know. The, Thetis tells him, "You, you messed up, and and so you have this many days before uh, you have to sacrifice Andromeda." That's right. If you watch this videotape in seven days, seven days. <laughs> Hail Ming. Anyway, she threatens them all, and the only way to appease her is to kill Andromeda, and the only way to kill Andromeda is to chain her to a rock for a great big beast to come. And tear her limb from limb out of the bottom of the ocean. Which is it's called kinda the like Kraken. Today. You know, like if you go to work and you get in trouble because you've been late too many times and your boss says, look, the only way they make this better is we're going to chain you to a rock and you're going to get torn limb from limb from uh, by a giant creature from the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. That happened in Greek times too. Yeah. yeah the struggle was any real. different. They were, they were that ahead of the times. They knew how the future was going to work. We're just going to keep going on the key points now that we've got the whole story. Right. Obviously, Perseus has to go on a quest. Right. And the only thing that can take down this creature is a is a gorgon. So right. they've got to find the gorgon. So they have to find some information, which leads us to the next reason to watch this movie. The blind witches. Yeah, the Stygian witches. The, these three witches who uh, who dwell in this cave and they share an eye. And they're all uh, cannibals too. I mean, they're they get this big pot boiling, and there's like arms and eyes and heads in there, and pretty nasty. Yeah, the um, the Stygian witches are are scary in the fact that you get the idea that you don't know what they're gonna do, but you're not gonna get out of there alive. Yeah, they're kind of like the uh, the giant spider. That's and exactly crawl, you know? what I was thinking of. Yeah, you go in there to get some information. And you're probably not making it out. That's that's why. I mean, but, they're not a giant spider, though. Don't they even kind of say that? Like, you know, going in there is, you know, basically signing your death warrant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's like a Macbeth thing where all the, the soldiers stay outside and say, I'm not going in there. You can go in there. I'm and, not going. And they're all blind. And they pass around the all-seeing eye that they have. And they all hold it up. And, and through this prism, they can kind of see what's going on. Hey, so, so when that... that the eye is kind of their weakness. So who saves the day by stealing that eye? R2-D2. Boobo the owl. That's, That's right. right. Naysayers can say what they want. Uh, obviously, they're naysayers. So they want to say nay. But they don't need to because Boobo the owl saves the day. That's right. Takes the eye away, gives it to Perseus. Then he's able to take them and say, hey, I've got your eye. Now tell me what I need to know. So the information they get. The only way to kill the Kraken is by having the head of a Gorgon named... The head of a Gorgon. Medusa. Medusa. For me, the ultimate reason to watch this movie is Medusa, without a doubt. That's what sold me in the previews of watching this. 
You know, Medusa is a central piece to the plot. Uh, she's, she's a huge part of the quest, but she's not the finality of the quest. She's, she's another thing to be got in order to complete the mission. So they, they, uh, he takes the eye and he pitches it and he gets away from the Stygian witches. And then uh, they, they continue on. Now, they got Bubo at the beginning of this quest. He just showed up at the edge of town. Because, you know, Zeus decided he was going to need some help on this quest, and he had uh, Athena send the the owl. And so he hadn't been there before, but early on, he's uh, he's worth his weight in gold. Because guess what? He's gold. <laughs> True. So scooting on, the only way to get to Medusa is to cross the River Styx into the underworld. That's right. I'm sailing away. That kind of sticks? That's right. It's exactly that kind of sticks. And they do sail across the uh, the river sticks with the help of the ferryman. Don't gonna, pay the ferryman. The ferryman. <laughs> Don't even ask the price. I thought we'd go with that one. <laughs> and you, So you have to pay your pieces of silver to the ferryman, Charon, the, uh, the ferryman across the river sticks. I, and I have to say, the coolest skeleton with uh, a robe. Well, you only that you I've only see his hand. Yeah, in the middle of this of this Ray Harryhausen movie, and Ray Harryhausen is known for having skeletons that attack main characters in every other movie. You got this skeleton, and they don't even bother to animate him. He, he's just a guy in a cloak, yeah. and he puts out his hand for the silver, and it's just a big skeleton hand that kind of. And opens up, and they put the co- the coins in. It's a whole can of awesome sauce. It's the best. I, I agree. So they cross the River Styx, and what do they find across the River Styx? Mr. Roboto. Mr. Roboto, a.k.a. Cerberus. <laughs> Cerberus is, is usually a three-headed dog that guards the, uh, the underworld. But Ray Harryhausen uh, was going to charge by the head, because apparently three heads is going to be a lot harder than two. So they just made it a two-headed dog. So they fight They fight the two-headed dog with his magic sword that can cut through marble. That's right. And it can cut through dog, too. Yeah. What if it's a marble dog? If it's a marble dog, it could cut right through it. I think we've established that. Now, if it was a, okay. if it was a gold dog... Then you'd have, to have, uh, you'd have to have Bubo for that. What if it was a diamond dog? Well, hey. Why not? Well, hey. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> okay. So what's another so the, reason to watch the movie? Cerberus with his two heads. Two heads are not better than three, but they're definitely better than one. And uh, it's a it's a great fight. If you've ever seen a Ray Harryhausen fight where a bunch of dudes are fighting a giant monster, it's every bit as good as any of those. Yep. And they they fight their way in to the lair of Medusa. Yep. All that part right there is just textbook Harryhausen, man. It it looks as classic as all the great stuff that he's done. But yeah, you're getting to my favorite part, fighting fighting Medusa. This is what I think of every time when I think of this movie, this whole scene. So yeah, big reason to watch the movie. Yeah, the so so Medusa's lair is is dark. There's kind of a, a an ominous nature to it, and there are all these statues everywhere. The statues are of of soldiers and 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 men and they're all surrounding this central point. And you just kind of see it. You start to hear the uh, the serpentine slither, the, the hiss. You start to see a little bit of tail here and there. 
So one of uh, Perseus's men manages to get a little closer, and uh, he falls under the gaze of Medusa the Gorgon. Right. And her eyes light up like Lopan, and her and her snakes all her hair is made of snakes, and they they shoot out. But I'm not going to steal this whole thing from you. This is your favorite part. You need to you need to tell these people. Oh man, you know she looks at the dude, turns him to stone. Then there's another guy that's back there hiding. She takes a crack shot at him. She's killer with a bow and arrow. And she kind of makes a chip shot on this guy, and he steps out, gets her another one frozen. So Perseus gets the idea of, if you look at her reflection, it can't hurt you. You just can't look at her directly. So what does he use? His shield. The inside of his shield that... uh, Zeus told him to guard well because one day it will guard his life. He starts using it, and he decides to take it, and he throws it. And I don't know if marble is magnetic. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> or how this even works. I, I get the concept of he throws the shield, and it sticks into the hands of this statue of a man that's been frozen in place so he can get a better view of where she's at. But he throws it, and it's just like a wacky wall crawler. It just sticks to the marble fixture without any kind of support underneath or anything. So It's kind uh, of like in the in the first uh, Lord of the Rings where they drop the ring on the floor and it doesn't bounce or ring or anything, or it just yeah. Pump, yeah. stops. Exactly. That's what Perseus' shield does. He it throws just, a shield and it just, like, sticks, you know. So, uh, but he uses that, and she sees his reflection because he's looking at her. She shoots, knocks the shield over, and that gives him the prime angle that he's needing. And when she comes by at the right spot, he slings the sword that cuts through marble, takes off her head. I remember as a kid watching this and just being mortified watching this scene because. Her body is still reacting to the head being cut off. It's scratching on the ground. The claws are like marking up the the marble floor or whatever. And then the blood just starts pouring out. And, of course, the blood is poison, almost acidic, almost like your xenomorph acid. So it starts melting the shield and everything. So mission accomplished. Cut her head off. Put it in a six-demon bag. Let's get out of here. So the shield, the shield that... that Zeus had given him that said, one day this will guard your life, that said, find and fulfill your destiny. What happens to that shield in this scene? It gets melted. It gets melted by Medusa's awful, awful blood. Right. So, let, let you know, let's remember, if you ever kill a Medusa in your house, and you got one that's, that's infesting your living room, or, or that's hanging around on the ceiling, or turning your kids to stone, if you go after it, Make sure you don't let that blood get on anything you care about because it's just going to melt it. Yep. It'll ruin your pictures, any of that kind of stuff. Gorgon infestation. Right. It's a real struggle. So, okay, moving on. They they leave the River Sticks. They leave the underworld. And the next reason to, to watch the movie comes up, do you yep. remember what they encounter on the road? First, Calibus actually finds them, walks yep. up, and now he's where his hand was that got cut off. He's... Basically, put a little trident on there. Yeah, Walk, well, that's up, what you do. Yeah, well, because you know you you make it work. But he walks up to the head of Medusa in the bag, stabs it. The blood pours out, and it creates these enormous Ray Harryhausen scorpions. Giant scorpions, y'all. That's right. Next reason to watch the movie: giant scorpions. 
Those kids love the strangest stuff. <laughs> you got giant scorpions. And, you know, what do a bunch of guys, you know, they're on the windswept uh, plains of Greece. You know, what do they want to wake up to? Well, they probably don't want to wake up to giant scorpions. No. no but they not, do. Not part of the plan. No. So so the the men, you know, they call to arms. They, they get ready to go. And they have to fight these giant scorpions. They're smacking them with their sword belts and... And they're stabbing at them with their spears. But I mean, they're giant scorpions. What are you going to do? Yeah, man. You know, one of my favorite scenes from, from years and years is uh, you know, Perseus has this uh, this right-hand man who's been with him since the town. He's uh, loyal to a fault. And, and what should he do? But he calls out to him. He sees that, that Perseus is in trouble. He grabs his sword and he throws it to him and says, Perseus! And Perseus catches it. Right before the uh, the scorpion stabs him with his giant scorpion stinger. Right. Not Perseus, but the guy who yeah, threw the, the sword. So then you don't forget in the middle of this battle, this is where Calibus comes up too and starts attacking Perseus. That's right, because you know, Calibus made the scorpions as a as a distraction so he could. Well, he hates Perseus at this point. He cut his hand off. He's going to take his girl. Uh, insulted his mama. Right. All kinds of stuff. So Not a happy dude. Why wouldn't you just, you know, sick giant scorpions on his men and then try and get him? Calabas. Calabas. Uh, I, I need a bumper sticker that says, my boss is Calabas. <laughs> that's pretty good. I like that. Yeah, we, that should be what it says on the back of the Hail Ming Power Hour t-shirts. My there boss you go, is folks. Calabas. There's an idea for you folks right there. You get this thing going... We can get us some t-shirts made, and then that would be on the back. My boss is Calabas. That you is, heard it here first because you're killer. listening to the podcast, and we thank you for it. That's right. That is a great idea. Well, I'll try to podcasts. draw that up. Legion Podcast. That's where we are. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah. After the big battle with Medusa, getting through that, this moron comes up, stabs the Medusa head, causes more problems. Perseus and him throw down. He's got the whip. He's whipping Perseus. Then Perseus does this incredible finger flip of the sword. I've never understood this when I was a kid. I'm still trying to figure it out. I don't know if he just throws it like a dart or if it's a relapse off of the whip. I've never understood how this sword flies that direction. I guess he just wings it, just flings it over there at him. Yeah, the sword goes, it's a heroic task to to throw a sword and have it hit things heroes can do it so you know perseus is being choked out by this whip that's around his neck and he just grabs the butt end of the sword and flings it and it goes right through calabas kills right through graveyard dead so my boss is still calabas but he's a dead calabas right so with him out of the way you think that okay everything's cool but you can imagine all this has happened in a, in a series of just a couple of days. So Perseus is just about shot, man. Can't stand on his feet. Yeah, so, he, he manages to crawl his way back in uh, almost there in time to uh, to to save the day with, with the, uh, the head of Medusa. You know, the sacrifice is due to happen any minute now. Yep. And so he, he, uh, he straggles down and... That's when you clip to uh, to Mount Olympus, where they have the the whole thing playing out like a like a game. These these little marble statuettes, and uh, and Perseus is, has has fallen to the ground, 
and is just crawling in the, the last few inches, yep. it's, it's not going to make it. So all the other gods are looking at Zeus and saying, well, looks like that's it. He's going to lose. And then Zeus basically gives him a five-hour energy drink, maybe some Red Bull, stands him yeah, up. He, um, yeah, he waits till they're all not looking because that's the way Zeus does things. And he picks him up, stands him up, and, and then uh, you don't see Perseus in real life. And I think that this might be something that they would they would ruin if they if they did this today because they haven't ever remade this movie. But uh, you know, they would they would stand him up and they might actually show him revitalize or something. But really, it's just a little statuette. It goes from being um, you know war torn and straggling to to being upright and and confident. You know, just a little statue. That's right. So. At this point, while this is going on in Olympus, when you are being sacrificed to the Kraken, the first thing you must do is have Andromeda take a bath. This crowd is a bunch of excitable monkeys. So, two things I remember from this movie. Medusa... In the bath. That's where I dropped the mic. Yeah, we'll just have to give that a moment of silence. <laughs> home. Home. One thing about moments of silence and Rick. Rick does not know how to have a moment of silence. <laughs> he has to make a noise. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, uh, the, yes, they, they, they prepare her for the sacrifice because if there's one thing that the Kraken hates... If there's one thing that the Kraken hates, it's a dirty sacrifice. Kids like it. Kraken doesn't. So she's chained to the uh, the, the the large stone cliffside, and she awaits the Kraken. And uh, so at this point, Zeus, you know, says his favorite line again, but he says it a, a lot more, a lot less uh, heartedly. You have the right to kill Tommy Tong. You have the right to kill Tommy Tong. He was weak. You should have given him a bath first. No, no. The, Hail he Ming. Says, he says, release the Kraken. <laughs> With such force. <laughs> I, I remember uh, at one point Rick made some, some songs while I was wor- working with him. And uh, between the songs, one, one of them had that... <laughs> Release the Kraken. Yeah, it wasn't even the the first time he says it, he's really angry, right? The first movie, and this time he's like, oh, well, release the Kraken. And and there's even some gasp in that that scene. I remember it from your CD. It went, release the Kraken, and there's this woman's voice going, it's it's great. Um, So he tells him, and Poseidon again is underwater. Now, do you remember, is Poseidon, is the actor playing Poseidon actually underwater? Or is he? Is there like a screen with water in it, and he's behind it? I think they just kind of superimposed him in the water. They probably took a fan and had him standing in front of it, and just slowed the footage down. And just and I remember him in there. as like even recently seeing that movie, I remember just something really weird and cool yeah. about those scenes. Yeah, he's definitely not in water because his hair is not wet; it's blowing around. So. Well, and then I guess they have the stock footage of the giant chains underwater and and the thing yeah. moving and. And so the Kraken comes up, and this time, you get to see him. Yeah, it's on. I love so, your notes right here. It says, the Kraken is Kraken. 
the Kraken is Kraken. And that, that's a double meaning because first he shows up and he is uh, a, a giant mer creature with four arms and he just kind of stands there like, behold, I'm the Kraken. That's right. <laughs> and I, I think then he gets attacked by Bubo, right? Yeah, I think Bubo comes up and tries to do a little threatening thing and he just like sneezes at him and he flies off. Right, and then and then you know, time for round two. Uh, yep. Pegasus flies up and kind of gets in his face. Yep, he gets some feathers up his nose, and he's like, oh. kind of the same deal. Kind of swats at him or whatever, knocks him down. So Perseus is on the back of the horse, and he's trying to pull the head out of the bag. And that's when that happens, and it knocks the knocks Pegasus down into the ocean. So now Perseus is in the ocean. He's trying to swim across when all this is going on. The Kraken's getting closer to Andromeda. And then he climbs up on the bank, pulls out the head, and turns the Kraken to stone. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this right now. When, as a kid, I didn't know what the end game was. I didn't know if he was going to try and poison the Kraken with that head, try and make him swallow it or something. I didn't realize that once, even after you cut the head off, it was still going to have that power. Yeah. So when he held up that head and it gave the, the gaze of stone, it was amazing. Yeah. I, and it, its eyes lit up. Its mouth was open. The snakes all started moving again. And, he, and, he, and it didn't matter how big or small you are, yeah. Medusa's gaze turns you to stone. It's kind of like a microwave, though. You know, if it's a bigger dish, it's going to take a little longer for the stone to set in. So he yeah, has to hold yeah, it there so for quite a while. Long enough for the Kraken to kind of look at his hand and go, why is my hand made of stone? My head's not made out of stone yet. Yeah. So but, apparently but the then, Kraken wasn't very smart. So, Well, you know, it, it, was, it was there to rip uh, damsels to shreds and, and take out islands. Yeah. Wasn't there to, you know, take IQ tests. Just a destruction machine. Destruction machine. Right. So our, our next T-shirt will will uh, on the front it'll say Hail Ming Power Hour on the back it'll say it'll say Calabas is my boss because I'm not going to say Destruction Machine <laughs> or the Kraken is Kraken the Kraken That's is Kraken so he turns to stone and then he just kind of crumbles away That's right monsters defeated and then Perseus takes the head of Medusa throws it out in the water so it can't do harm to anybody else. And exactly where he throws the head in, reminiscent of the fire lake that's in Dragon Slayer, you see this commotion going on, and all of a sudden Pegasus comes up out of the water. Pegasus is just fine. Pegasus is just fine. And then we enter the uh, the Pegasus takes a bath scene, which is just weird. No. 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 <laughs> We have the strangest studio audience. Uh, you know, they like animals. Anyway, justice is served. The beast is killed. Medusa's head is there in the ocean. Pegasus is all right. Bubo the owl, still the most awesome thing in the whole movie. And uh, and they get along with that wedding. That's right. They get on with the wedding. And then you get a great ending sequence that shows all the uh, constellations that... Uh, kind of map out the story of what was told in this in this movie and uh it's just a cool way to end it it's a good solid right. film then the narrator comes through and says you know the, these stories will not be lost they will be forever in the heavens for you to look upon and then you know those who come after us will will see 
the vain Cassiopeia and the beautiful Andromeda and the heroic Perseus and the giant scorpion Nebula and Calabas is my boss <laughs> and a pie. All kinds of crazy stuff. But cake. But with cake all over it. All right. Hey, what can I say? Absolutely love this movie. Like we said, this was kind of the end of the era with, with the Harryhausen stuff. This was the last last hurrah for this kind of filmmaking. And, and it's just a treasure, man. This is uh, just as much as history as, as what we were saying earlier with the CGI stuff and Last Starfighter. Uh, this movie will just always be legendary to me. And uh, just fond, fond memories of it. Love everything about it. I'm not sure that we, and this is this is what I want to say. We didn't talk about each individual special effect that Ray Harryhausen did, that the creatures he brought to life for this movie. And the reason is because it wasn't about the special effects. No. It was about the movie as a whole story. That's right. And the special effects did a great job of putting you in that story. You even know, without though, overwhelming the story. Even I though think the that's story is now. not really correct. It's not really correct according to Greek mythology. No, no, it's not. But it's a great movie. And just like he's saying, it wasn't about the effects. The effects tell the story. So uh, that's kind of where we get lost now. Now we've got effects and we just don't tell a story. We just explain. Well, as a matter of fact, when they made the movie, they they said, well, the, the, uh, the creature in Greek mythology was the Leviathan. But they didn't like the way Leviathan sounded, so they took a, a creature from Norse mythology, the Kraken, and they said, "Well, we'll just call it the Kraken." There you go. And just like Cerberus is a three-headed, uh, a three-headed dog. Well, you know, it costs too much. Make it a two-headed dog. They made changes and they put together a story that isn't exactly the same as the mythology, but they still made a great movie. Yep. And that's what matters in the long run. Yep. I love everything about it. It's one of my favorites. Let's see, rating-wise. I'll give this movie 10 meatloaf dudes riding with chicken legs. And I will give it 10 Calabas is my boss t-shirts. <laughs> and Brian Blessed, what do you think of Clash of the Titans? Let the combat begin! To the death! All right. That's what I think, too. Wow. I think he really liked it. Yep. All right. We'll be right back. <laughs> Girls, do you want to stop a man in his tracks? Make him only have eyes for you? Have radiant, lively hair with a flare of its own? Knock the boys dead with an arrow to the heart. Medusa's line of hair and skin products will win their soul and your confident gaze will keep him in your lair forever. Medusa, hair and skin for the immortal creature in you. All right, well, 
Thanks for being with us tonight to uh, have another episode of the Hail Ming Power Hour available on Legion Podcasts. And uh, we hope that you enjoyed tonight's uh, installment of The Last Starfighter and Clash of the Titans. Absolutely. As Yeah, there are a couple of our favorites. And uh, although we're doing this at night, you might be listening to it in the morning. So just forget all that tonight stuff and <laughs> add today at that point. So if you have any suggestions uh, to go on to our next podcast or any suggestions of movies you'd like us to do or uh, formatting ideas, eh, we're all about what you want to hear. So we wouldn't be doing it if there weren't sets of ears out there to listen to us. That's right. Please feel free to make any kind of statements you can. Yep. Be a part of the family. The pa- the web page is for all of us or the Facebook page is for all of us. So just uh, – just put all kinds of crap out there, man. Also, for you that are listening, if you download on iTunes, if you will, just uh, leave us a rating and stuff on there. And uh, that just really helps drives uh, more attention to the show as well. So if you're on iTunes and pulling this stuff off there, just uh, leave us a rating or you know some kind words. And that really goes a long way. So appreciate you guys listening. And until next time, we'll see ya. <laughs> Satisfactory!